Galatians chapter 4. It's a good time to open our Bibles. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand real high and we will get you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please uh, keep that as a gift from the Lord to you today. We want everybody to have God's Word. hearing some rustling. That's some good rustling. You're not on your phones. Hallelujah. No, just kidding. You got a good Bible app. Don't be looking stuff up, though, during the study. Remember where we came from, from last week? And uh, this week, it's interesting. Paul uses uh, slaves as an illustration in this chapter, and it's something that the people that he was writing to would be familiar with. For us, it's like, you know, it's kind of like we don't really, we're not familiar with slaves uh, or how that, whole, how that all rolled out. In the, in the Roman Empire, there was at least, during this time, at least six million slaves. That's a lot of slaves, isn't it? Slaves were considered expendable. You just, your slave gets sick, get rid of them, you know, send them out to pasture, purchase a new one. And, and Paul's going to remind us, as us, as, as Christians now, as believers, we've been set free. We were once slaves to the law, slaves to sin, but now we've experienced freedom in Christ as we've trusted in Jesus and, and, and put our trust in him. We've been set free. We've been liberated. And so remember what we learned last week, the law, there, there's a purpose in the law. The law doesn't make us righteous before God, correct? Does the law make you righteous? It shows us our condition, right? It's like a mirror showing me my condition, but, but I can't clean myself up with the mirror. I need something else to clean me. The law shows me that I fall short. In fact, Paul put it this way. He said the law was our tutor or our schoolmaster to what? To point us to Jesus. So all of us, all of us were what? We were all in that one-room schoolhouse. The law showing us our need for Jesus. And then we surrender to Jesus. He said what? We're no longer under a tutor, right? The tutor did his job, correct? He's still with me. And now we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't by keeping rules. It wasn't by keeping the law. It was simply by trusting in the one who gave his life for us. And so we've been liberated. Listen, this is so important. We've been liberated from the impossible demands of the law. Correct? That's good news this morning. And we've been adopted into God's family. We're going to talk about that this morning. And the Galatians, Paul is warning them. He loves them. And he's warning them that they are, they've moved from the simplicity of the gospel. They've moved from the simplicity of walking with Jesus now to a complex system of following rules, following all the moral rules and Judaism and, and all those things in the Old Testament, trying to, to make themselves right with God by keeping those rules. And Paul, again, is trying to help us to see that none of those things will make you righteous. It's only Jesus Christ. He gives, when we put our trust in him, um, we get the free gift of righteousness. And who were the culprits bringing in the, the problems into the church? What were they called? You guys remember? What were they called? 
Judaizers. And what were they saying? They, were, they followed Paul, right? Wherever Paul went, they would follow him. And they would say to the church, after Paul left, they would say to the church, listen, here's the deal. Paul didn't tell you the whole story. Jesus is an important piece of the story, but you're missing the pieces of Judaism that you also need to add to your relationship with God. Men, you need to be circumcised with a rock and no surgery. <laughs> you need to keep the law, the whole law, and nothing but the law, and also all the other rules, the Sabbaths, the new moons, and all of that, and it becomes a burden. It's burdensome trying to maintain those things and, and, and to pursue the rules. You don't have time for a relationship with God trying to keep the rules. It makes you weary and burdened. And Paul's going to give the church and us this morning um, some illustrations to, to help us understand that the course that they were on was not bringing them closer to Jesus, but further and further away from him. Are you with me this morning? Let's read the first seven verses and then we'll, we'll check it out. We'll break it down. Here's what God's word says. Paul writes, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, notice this, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Notice what it says, why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son, where? Into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, check this out, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That's some good news this morning, isn't it? That's some good news this morning. Amen. Thank you. And so again, Paul's using an illustration here to begin with verse 1 and 2 of a Roman household, actually really a wealthy Roman household where there would be servants and slaves in the house. And then there's the son who is the heir. What does an heir do? What do they do? They inherit. It's someone who inherits something. They don't earn it. They don't work for it. But he says that heir, look what it says to me in verse 1, while he's a minor, while he's a child, he's no different from any of the servants in the house. Even though he does have absolute ownership rights, it's all coming to him. He's going to get it all. But at this point, he's a minor. He's a kid. He's just like all the rest of the servants in the house. And those servants, what are they doing? The guardians, the, the tutors, the house managers, the stewards, they are giving him guidance. They are providing discipline, education. Until when? Until dad says, okay, you know what? Here's the date I have picked out for my son to inherit all that I have. And I know now he's going to be able to handle it properly. 
Why? Because he's been trained. He's been educated. He's been brought up under this tutelage, under this teaching. And so some of us have blank stares on our faces. Let me give you another illustration. Can I give you an illustration? Big Tex. He's got a ranch outside of Dallas. Between Dallas and Stephenville, thousands of acres, thousands of longhorn steers. Know what they call it? Steers? Longhorn steers? Longhorn cows? I don't know. He's just got a lot. He's got a big herd. And there's Jimmy Don, his son. He's the heir. But right now, he's a boy. And guess what? The, all of the nannies, all of the ranch managers, you know what they're doing? They're training him. They're giving him guidance. They're helping him. So when, dad, when the time comes and dad says so, guess what happens for Jimmy Don? He gets, all, he gets the whole enchilada. He gets it all. It's all coming his way. He's able to handle it properly. He's been taught. He's been raised. So how does that work for us? Look at the next verses 3 and 4. We're told, even so, or similarly as believers, when we were minors, when we were children, and we were not of age, we were in bondage or subject to what? To the elements or under the elements of the world. That means fundamentals or the ABCs, uh, the principles of this world. It also speaks of rules and religious requirements. And that, we learned about that last week. Again, the law was our tutor. We were under that tutor, and the law was showing us we don't measure up. We all fall short of the glory of God. And there was that period of time where the law was instructing us, guiding us, showing us our need for Jesus. And I love what it says uh, in the next verse. It says, when the time was right, in the fullness, but when the fullness of time had come, in God's perfect timing. Is God's timing perfect? How do you guys do with God's timing? You guys doing good with God's timing? Anybody here struggle with God's timing? We do, don't we? I do. Why? Because we're super impatient. We want things done our way, in our time. I want my double caramel latte right now. Caramel drizzle, bring it. (laughs) Right? Some of you are laughing. You don't know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're late, it's like, come on, give it to me now. We're super, because patience doesn't come naturally, does it? It's supernatural. It's a fruit of the Spirit. As we abide in Jesus, we grow in that. But here's the thing. God is never late, you guys, and his timing is perfect. Are you with me? And we can rest in that. If his timing is perfect, if he's never late, I can rest. And, and the Bible tells, it, it tells us it's by faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Those two things, faith and patience. And it's interesting, historically, we read the fullness of time. What was that time like? Think about what was going on historically at that time. It's pretty awesome. There was really one language. Alexander the Great brought brought the Greek language, Koine Greek, and it was all over over the, uh, the, 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 the ancient world. Not only that, the Hellenistic or Greek culture had permeated all, all the lands, all the areas. And Rome at this time, they were the bullies on the block. And they pretty much, I mean, Pax Romana, that's the peace of Rome. They pretty much bludgeoned everybody into control, submission. That's how they brought their peace. Over 50,000 miles of roads. I mean, isn't that awesome? Thousands of them with street lamps with, that, that had uh, oil. 
That's pretty cool, isn't it? This was, that's what was going on at this time, all roads leading to Rome. I mean, the whole, the ancient world was connected. And that was the full, when the fullness of time had come, as God spoke about in Daniel, as he predicted in the Old Testament, what happened? Look at the next part of the verse. It's so beautiful. God did, what did God do? He gave a gift, didn't he? What does it say? What does it say, gang? God sent forth his son. Where did he, where did he send him from? Heaven. Heaven, heaven is Jesus' hometown, gang. Jesus didn't just all of a sudden pop up out of nowhere. God sent forth his son. And we were told about that in Isaiah, weren't we? Was that predicted in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen, this speaks of his deity, gang. This speaks of his deity. Jesus is not only the Son of God, he is God the Son. He didn't just begin to exist. Micah 5.2 tells us, you guys remember, Micah 5.2, another prediction about our Lord, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Who's that speaking of? Born in Bethlehem. Who is it? Jesus, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So he stepped out of eternity. God sent him out of eternity. When the fullness of time came, Boom, he came. It speaks of his deity, but then it speaks of his humanity. Look at the next thing. He was born of a, what? Born of which woman? Mary. More specifically, virgin Mary. Was that predicted also? It sure was. Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And by the way, there's some people that try to twist the word of God and say, oh, the word virgin, uh, Parthenos in the Greek, could speak of any young woman. Well, that wouldn't be a sign, would it? Maybe you need to read the rest of the verse, friend. She was a virgin. It was miraculous. Speaks of Jesus' humanity. And not only that, what's the last part of that verse? Say he was born under the born under the law. Subject to the law. He had knowledge of the law and was required to observe the law. And the law searched out Jesus. Just like the law searched out you and me. And guess what? The the law came up wanting with Jesus. Why? Because he never sinned. Amen? There was a report or a, what do you call those things? A, uh, A survey few years ago on evangelical Christians. That would be us, hopefully. And the percentage of people that did not believe that Jesus was sinless was staggering. Evangelical Christians who didn't believe in the virgin birth and those who didn't believe that Jesus was sinless. And I would say, you haven't read your Bible, man. Why? Because it tells us in 2 Corinthians, doesn't it? He who knew no sin became 
sin for us. Hebrews, right? We're told in Hebrews, we don't have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted in all points, yet without, without sin. He was the pure, spotless lamb of God. Jesus was perfect. He, listen, he did what we could never do ourselves. He lived a perfect life, and, and, and that's so important because we don't look to our perfection, we look to his. He kept the law fully and completely. Jesus died on the cross, raised on the third day. Not only was his sacrifice sufficient for the full and satisfying payment for our sins, but also his sacrifice had the power to break the curse. And we learned about that, was it last week in Galatians chapter 3? The curse of the law. We've been set, guys, we've been set free. In fact, look at the next verse. Look what, that's what it tells us. Why? To redeem who? Us who are under the law. What does redeem mean? To buy back. Yeah, it means to purchase at a price in order to set free and make one's own. I like that. To pay a price, to set free, and to make one's own. And the picture is, the listeners would understand this. Again, it's talking about slaves in the marketplace. And they'd be brought out, they'd be put on a pedestal, and they'd bid on that slave. And you'd purchase that slave, and then you'd put him to work. But for us, this is a beautiful picture, isn't it? Jesus has purchased us with what? His precious blood. Didn't we just sing that? Bought with his blood. With his very life he gave to, to, to set us free and to make us his very own. We've been bought at a price. Our lives are no longer ours. They're his. his. We belong to him. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The good shepherd. The Lord Almighty. And so we were once slaves to sin, weren't we? Were we slaves to sin once? Did Jesus say something about setting us free from that? Did Jesus say something about making us free indeed? He did, didn't he? He said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin or continues in persistent, unrepentant, habitual sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. We have been set free. He's broke the power of sin in our lives. He's dealt with the penalty of sin, which is hell. He's broken the power of sin in our lives, giving us the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in the things that he's called us to. And one day, gang, guess what? We'll be set free from the presence of sin altogether. We did a, a memorial service here yesterday for uh, Frida Gillenwater's husband, David. And we talked about what Jesus has done for us. He seeks us, he rescues us, he keeps us, and he, he has gone home to heaven to prepare a place for you and for me. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. That's some good news, isn't it, gang, this morning? He bought us, he purchased us, he's made us, oh, look what he's done. We've been also, what does it say? Adopted. 
that we might officially become the children of God, a genuine member of his family. Listen, if you are adopted, you're a child by choice, aren't you? If you're adopted, are you a child by choice this morning? You guys still with me this morning? Okay, there was two sons, two kids, two boys. Can I, tell, can I illustrate? Can I tell a little story? Two boys, one natural born, one adopted. And the natural born boy was giving the adopted boy a hard time, criticizing him, saying, dude, you're adopted. Mom and dad don't love you. I'm way better than you because I, mom and dad had me. You're just adopted. You know what the adopted boy said? You know what he said? He said, mom and dad chose me. They were stuck with you. <laughs> love that. Some of you will get that later. It's Okay. But God said that about you and I. I want you as mine. I want you as mine. Listen, keeping rules doesn't make you a child of God. Keeping rules doesn't bring you into the family of God. Performing rituals or ceremonies, baptism or circumcision, church membership, that doesn't bring you into God's family. It's by trusting in Jesus Christ. That's how you become part of God's family, how you become adopted as a son or a daughter. Listen, God selected you. It's not an accident. And you selected him. How does that all work? I have no clue. So don't send me an email. Send it to michaelmetter at wahoo.com. And listen, because you're sons, verse 6, since we're now his children, what's the next gift we read about? God sent the Holy Spirit. But look at the, look at the phrase he uses for the Holy Spirit. Isn't this great? The spirit of his son. And there's a bunch of different terms we see in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit. The comforter, the helper, right? The spirit of Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ. And now we find here the spirit of his son sent forth where? Into your what? Into your heart. That's amazing, isn't it? He's literally come into our hearts. He desired the, listen this morning, he desired the closest possible relationship with you and I by coming right into our hearts, the deepest part of our being. Isn't that awesome? How close did God want to get to you? Closer than some of us want to get to you. He didn't care. With all of our junk, with all of our problems, with all of our failures, with all of our weaknesses, all of our hang-ups, all of our little idiosyncrasies, all of our junk. Correct? I mean, isn't that amazing that he, by his grace? I mean, we're going to talk about that tonight in Sunday evening service, 5 o'clock, Luke 15. Read ahead if you come, or when you come, rather, or when you watch. Remember the prodigal? Which one's the prodigal, the older or the younger? Probably both. Think about that, yeah. What happened, to the, what happened to the one that was in the pig pen? He finally realized, what? I'm a mess. I, I, I've sinned against my dad. I've jacked it up. The difference between a pig and a prodigal is a prodigal comes home. Remember what happened when he came home? What did the dad do? Hose him down? Get the hose out. Disinfect this, this son of mine. Wash him off. He go, he, number one, he goes running. Robe, ring, 
shoes, received him just as he was. Listen, same way with us. He comes into our heart just as we are. But, here, but, here, but listen, but here's the thing. He doesn't just come in and leave us in the condition he finds us in. He begins this work of transforming and sanctifying and changing us from the inner core of our being. Rules, religion, religious system, none of those things can do that. Only Jesus can. He's the only one. That's why Christianity is so awesome. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just tell us what to do. He gives us the power. It is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He gives us the, not only the desire to do what's right, but what else? He couples it with his power. Isn't that glorious? I'm going to get an amen up in here sometime. Can I get an amen up in here? <laughs> and look at verse 6. Because you're his sons, he sent the Holy Spirit into your hearts, crying out. Isn't this beautiful? Abba, Father. That's Aramaic. When you go to Israel, it's so awesome. I was in Jerusalem, and the little kids were, were, were calling their dad, Abba, Abba. I'm like, that's in the Bible. I'm hearing it right here. That's where it comes from. And that's what our kids do, right? They learn one and two syllable words to begin with. Dada, Mama, right? No. No. Mine. Mine, Right? Two and one syllable words. <laughs> but Abba is a, it's a term of endearment. Because of what Jesus has done, now we have this intimate relationship with God. Glorious. Listen, if you're still calling, if you call God the big guy upstairs or the big man upstairs, you have a problem. There's something missing in your life, and it's not a real relationship. Because when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son comes into our hearts, it's no longer the big guy upstairs. He's my dad. He's rescued me. He cares for me. He didn't buy me and purchase me just to drop me on the curb, to kick me to the curb, but to care for me, to lead my life, to shepherd my life. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of God sending forth his son and giving us his son, giving us this gift and giving us the Holy Spirit. The law will not do that. Rules will not do that. And Paul's saying to the church, why would you go back to a religious system? Why would you trade in something that is so superior to something that's inferior? Are you with me? You're going back, you're going to something inferior to what you have now. It's like me coming to Sammy and saying, Sammy, what's your favorite car? BMW convertible? Oh, cool. You know what? I'm going to put one in your garage tonight, and I'm going to hang up the keys for you. And so Sammy gets home, and guess what's in his garage? There's a sweet Beamer for him right there. All the trimmings, all the, the whole package, right? Tractor beams and discs or whatever, <laughs> satellite discs. You got to have the whole thing. And Sammy says... You know what? Here's the keys back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my skateboard. We laugh, but that's what's going on in Galatia. Here they... Paul, Paul comes, shares the gospel. They get born again. Lives radically change. No rules could produce what, what has been produced in their lives. And now they're going back to this inferior rule-keeping, and they have no time for a relationship any longer. It's just checking off boxes. How sad. Because you know what it produces? It produces a weary life and a lack of love. 
a lack of love for the Lord and a lack of love for others. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at verse 7. Therefore, in light of this amazing transaction, you're no longer a slave. Amen. Thank you. I heard one. There were some crickets for a minute. But there... You've been set free. You're a child of God. And since you are a child of God, look what it says. You're an heir now. What is an heir? Someone who inherits something because you've kept rules? Because you've kept the law? No, by your faith in Jesus Christ. What have we inherited? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 through 3, all the riches are ours in Christ Jesus. Did you know you're wealthy this morning? Thank you. Another amen. Now, hallelujah. And it's all because of who? Look what it says. Through Christ, the one who redeemed us, the one we, the one we put our trust in, the one now to whom we belong. Verse 8. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you lest I have labored for you in vain. Can you sense Paul's heartache here? His heart's broken. And he reminds them, look at verse 8 with me just for a second here. He says, before you put your trust in Jesus, you did not know God personally. You were what? You, were, you served, you were enslaved to, in bondage to, a servant to, what? False gods. Idols. You were owned by idols. And an idol is, idol worship is worshiping anything other than Jesus Christ. It's what you live for. It's what you serve, what you wake up living for each day. And listen, life is all about finding the right master. If money is your master, that's a cruel master. If drugs are your master, popularity, power, those are cruel masters. You're going to wipe out, man. It's just a matter of time. You can set your clock. And it all seems fun for a while. Yeah, money's fun to play with, isn't it? But you live for that? Jesus said it. Didn't Jesus say it? Matthew 6. You guys know this verse. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, Jesus is saying it's an impossibility, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is material uh, wealth or money. He says it's, it's, a, it's an impossibility, Jesus says. You can't say, oh, I'm worshiping, I'm serving the Lord, Jesus is number one, and then live my life serving money or possessions. Those possessions are possessing you. That's what happened with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? Man, I kept the law. I've done this since I was young, this and that. And Jesus is so awesome. He looked at him and loved him and said, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have to the poor. Give it to the poor. You'll have riches in heaven and come follow me. Why did Jesus say that? Because he put his finger on the dude's God. He was worshiping. His possessions possessed him, his material wealth. And it's, what's, what's tragic is that it says the man went away sorrowful. 
But here's the thing. Jesus didn't chase him down. Oh, you know what? That was really, uh, that was hard. hard. Harsh words. Come back. Come back. Let me, let me, let me give you a little seeker sensitive message. Let me couch it a little. Jesus loved him. And he knew where that God would take him to wipe out to hell. And so Paul reminds them, this is so vital, Paul reminds them where they came from. Because look what he says, verse 9, but you have put your trust in Jesus, but now you have come to know God personally. You've known God. I let, it's almost like Paul steps back and says, oh, wait a minute, here's, let me adjust that. Or more importantly, he knows you intimately. Or rather, you're known by God. Guys, that is the most important thing this side of eternity. Amen. Thank you, little guy out wherever you're sitting or hanging out. Because Jesus said, on that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we, hey, we went to church. We did this in your name and that in your name. I said I was a Christian. And Jesus will say what? On that day, I'm going to say to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. It's important to understand what he's saying there. He's saying you demonstrated we had no relationship by the way you lived your life. That's, that's some frightening stuff. And Paul reminds these Galatians where they came from. I think that's important. It's important to remember where we came from, isn't it? Where God brought us from. For I know for many of us, it's not pleasant to think back upon where he brought us from. But listen, it is healthy to every once in a while take a look in the rearview mirror and say, Lord, thank you. Because what can happen is what? We can act like we were never in the pit at all, in the miry clay, and begin to look down on people who are in the same predicament we once were in. And you know what we don't do? We don't extend mercy. We don't extend grace. We don't extend compassion or love to those people. We just point the finger at them and forget where we came from. Because where were we once? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We weren't born found, were we? No. Some of us were so lost, so jacked up, so messed up, in desperate need of Jesus, and he rescued us when we cried out to him. And we wouldn't be who we are today except for him. I know I'm not what I should be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be. And it's because of Jesus. Our past, listen, our past helps us identify with lost people and to understand that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. Paul made sure that Timothy as a pastor understood that himself personally, and that it would be communicated to the congregation. When Paul talked about his past, how he was a religious monster, a persecutor of the church, a Christian killer. And by his mercy and grace, God saved me. And Paul said, listen, that is a, that is a, a, a prototype, an example of what God can do in any life. 
No one is beyond the reach of our God and saving him. And Paul's saying, listen, again, why do you go back to something infinitely inferior? You're going back to, to, look what it says, weak and beggarly elements. You guys ever use that word beggarly? Man, you're looking beggarly today. (laughs) Now you can. It means unable, it means completely destitute. Man, that outfit is totally beggarly. But that's what the rules are. They're weak. They're without strength, insufficient to, to fix us, to help us. And he's like, why do, you, why do you want to be enslaved again to that? Why do you want to put on shackles again? And he says, look at verse 10. He kind of hones down. What, what were they doing? You, you, you carefully follow all the rules, customs pertaining to certain days and months, right? The Sabbath, the Sabbath, the new moon festivals. And Paul's going to say the same thing. Listen, church, he's going to say the same thing to the Colossians. And he's going to remind the Colossians, you are complete. You are complete in him. You don't need to add all this stuff. You're complete in Jesus Christ. And the, it's interesting, the word observe here, you observe, it means to watch closely do you guys remember anyone who watched anybody closely in the Gospels? The Pharisees watched Jesus closely. Right? They were scrutinizing him. It's not a good word, by the way. Why do I say that? Why, why, why did I tie this in with the Pharisees? Because you see, you see the result of being a legalist of being someone that, I mean, think about what, what did the religious leaders do? They hijacked Judaism. They turned Judaism into something God never intended because they added more rules on top of more rules, the Sabbath, especially the Sabbath. It became anything but a day of rest, correct? That's why they were always tripping out on what, what's Jesus going to do today on the Sabbath? Oh, he just healed someone. He just broke the Sabbath. No, he didn't. But they considered healing work, practicing medicine. Isn't that sad? That's how jacked up a life can get when you're a rule keeper, scrutinizing and sin sniffing and critical and fault finding. Your disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath, they're hungry. There's no in and out, there's no Whataburger out here. What do you want them to do? No H-E-B, no Heb, Hebrew market, right? It's like, what do you want them to do? But, they, but that, when they, took, when they were picking the heads of grain and rubbing it, you know what that was considered? Work. Is that pathetic? But that's what happens when you add rules on top of rules on top of rules. It, keep, it makes you burdened. It keeps you from loving others. It keeps you from extending mercy to people. Are you with me? Do you ever wonder why Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened? He's looking at the multitudes. He's looking at all the people gathered. And he says, come to me. You're weary. You're burdened. Oh, listen, sin will make you weary and burdened. It'll wear you out, man. It's burdensome. Hiding, being a hider, concealing your sin, concealing something. It'll wear you out for sure. But I think he's speaking of something else, too. 
keeping rules, trying to keep all these rules the Pharisees imposed upon the people. It's wearing you out, making you burden, man. And he says, come to me. He doesn't say, go read a book, go get on Google and find out how to get out of this jam. He says, what? Come to me, all you are weary and burdened. Isn't it so sweet what he says? And I will give you rest. Some of you need rest this morning. You need to come to Jesus. Or maybe you know him already and he knows you, but man, you're, you're huffing and puffing and struggling. You come to Jesus, you're weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We come to Jesus to learn, to find rest, to be taught, to be instructed. Because it's Jesus who loves us and cherishes us and nourishes us as a good shepherd. He shepherds our lives. There's nothing like being shepherded by Jesus. Remember what he said next? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am angry and bitter. Is that what he said? I'm harsh and mean and cruel, a ruthless dude. Is that what he said? I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Those were the verses when I got saved that, man, I was so moved. So moved, because I was weary and burdened, jacked up my life, so empty. And I couldn't believe that the Lord would forgive me and then come into my heart. I mean, really? Lord, I've dishonored you with this body, with this mind. And you would wash me and forgive me and come into my heart and change me. God, help me. I need you. I'll learn from you. I'll follow you. I'll go wherever you want me to go, wherever, whenever, whatever the cost, I'm down. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Man, God will rock your world. If you're a rule keeper, you're just going to keep adding more and more rules. And we begin to look down on others. And there's no rest. And Jesus said, rest is found in him. Let's finish. Two verse, uh, one verse. One time? Oh, yeah. What does it say up there? One hour and 58 minutes. Sweet. Don't be peeking. Hey, don't be peeking. Repent immediately if you're peeking. I'm afraid for you. That's what it says. Next verse. I'm afraid for you. I'm, I'm really scared for you that my labor to the point of exhaustion, that's what that word is, on your behalf was worthless. And you know... Um, can't, you, can't us as parents sometimes relate to that? It's like you pour it. I mean, there, we have some parents with prodigals here. And, and if that's you this morning, can I, can I remind you, even God has prodigals. But you pour in, you pour into those kids. And they're not walking the way they should. And it brings heartache. That's where Paul's at. I mean, that's how I feel as a pastor. You pour into someone for years, and then you see them, man, what happened? I love you. Where'd you go? What happened to you? What's going on? And you keep praying. You keep praying. You keep seeking the Lord. Because he knows. He has, he, he, he's, a, he's a prodigal father. Prodigal dad, He knows. And you keep praying. And you keep asking. You keep seeking. You keep knocking. Because you can get beat up, man. 
Oh, I was too heavy-handed. I was this. I was that. Listen, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Oh, you didn't do a good job as a parent, man. You should have read this book. Who's the accuser of the brethren? Satan is. If you would have got this special psychological course on child rearing, Dr. James Dobson says, listen, I just read it. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Lord, I need some wonderful counsel right now. Help me with these kiddos. Even if they're still under our roof, right? Tweens. What happened to my obedient, submissive? There's twe- I've learned there's tweens at 12 and 13, but also 19 and 20. <laughs> to both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> but we live it before them, guys. No phoniness. Not different people at church than we are at home. What the Lord desires is truth in our inward parts. We blow it. We ask for forgiveness. Ask for prayer. They have a, kids have a baloney meter, don't they? They know. <laughs> Dude. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you this morning. Thank you for touching our hearts, transforming our lives, helping us to grow in all these different areas. Thank you for the amazing gifts that you've given us, God. You've given us your son, the greatest.